Welcome to the Why Invest podcast with me, Doug Barnett. In this series, we want to demystify the worlds of finance and investment. We're going to be speaking with industry experts, strategists, fund managers, and financial planners. We'll hear from investment professionals who are at the top of their game, but also entrepreneurs who need investment, technology specialists disrupting the world of investment, and good old-fashioned active allocators of capital. In this episode of the podcast, I'm speaking with James Alder. James is the founder of The Lacquer Company, which designs and manufactures amazing lacquer furniture and distributes it globally. Now, lacquer is an incredibly old craft, which really he's revitalized through his collaborations with some of the world's top interior designers. James was a superb guest. Uh, he's currently raising capital for expansion, which we discuss. Um, we also cover his discovery of lacquer and really the opportunity, as he sees it, at the high-end interiors market. Um, he's got a great business and you could easily see the lacquer company following the same path as the rug company, um, which we also discuss. Um, do check out his website at thelacquercompany.com. But without further ado, this is the Why Invest podcast. The information provided during this podcast does not constitute investment advice and should not be relied on as such. It should not be considered a solicitation to buy or an offer to sell a security. James Lowther, founder of The Lacquer Company, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Doug. Good morning. James, how did you get into interior design? Um, interior design uh, happened uh, really because I was not a good student in school. Mm -hmm. um, I did a lot of... Um, I, I, took, I took my education the whole way. I did a degree... My mother was in interior design and um, my father was in academia and interior design was always much more appealing to me. So I, I started my interior design career at Colfax and Fowler, which is, you know, a well-known fabric and wallpaper and interiors company. And, um, and I worked there during the school holidays and, and, um, and then it was my first job in London. Um, but then at the age of 23, I moved to New York City. And that was uh, something I'd always planned to do. It was kind of like my dream. And um, so I upsticked and, and went to Manhattan. Mm -hmm. It was been fun as a 23-year-old. It was very fun, yeah. There were lots of parties and I was working in PR, which um, was a way to meet people and kind of expand what was a very non-existent network in New York at that time. So I got to meet a lot of people and um, have fun. Okay, and then um, how did you find Lacquer? So the Lacquer um, first happened in 1999 when I went to Burma. Um, and uh, I was very taken with how complicated the Lacquer process is and, and how ancient and beautiful the pieces that I was seeing were mm -hmm. and still are. What is lacquer exactly? Just, can you define it for anyone who does it, who sort of knows that it's something that happens probably in Asia um, and looks beautiful in Yeah, in it's Victoria. actually not an easy question to answer because, because Burmese lacquer and Japanese lacquer, Chinese and Vietnamese lacquer are all different. Um, Vietnamese lacquer, which is the, the lacquer I'm most familiar with, was traditionally extracted from trees, a tree sap. It was collected a little bit in the same way you collect rubber. And um, nowadays there's a modern lacquer process, which is 
uh, cashew oil features quite heavily. And it's, um, you know, if I'm thinking about lacquer, I'm thinking about lots of different things. I'm thinking about lots of different layers. But but the, the thing that could most be described as lacquer is the kind of black, sticky, tar-like substance mm -hmm. that is hand-applied um, in layers and allowed to dry and wet-sanded um, with fine carbon paper mm -hmm. immersed in water. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, uh, but the lacquer process is more than that. You know, there, 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 are, there, are, there are many steps. Mm -hmm. Well, we might come back to the lacquer process, yeah. but um, what was it about lacquer that, that sort of drew you? To so I've been aware um, since the first time I kind of found out about lacquer that it's, it's always been an important part of interiors. If you go to a stately home in England or a, or a palace or a famous hotel or, you know, any kind of important interior nearly always lacquer will, will feature um, in an important way. There'll be, you know, a, an amazing um, large piece of furniture or, or a set of beautiful lacquer chairs or whatever it is, even if it's a small box, um, there'll be some beautiful antique lacquer. So you know, one of my first ideas was to trade lacquer antiques. And I would still, you know, when I open our London showroom, I'd, I'd still like to have some antiques in there alongside our collections. Mm -hmm. But um, is there a big market for second uh, for antique antique lacquer? I mean, I don't know the answer to that. Mm -hmm. But I mean, you know, is there is there a big market for beautiful antiques? Sure, mm -hmm. you know. But I, I I know the market is bigger for 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 new manufactured pieces, mm -hmm. which is why you know we went in that direction. Yeah, I see. And so the Lacquer Company was founded in 2008? Officially, yes. Officially in 2008. Um, where does it operate? Where does it sell? Um, so it was founded in 2008 in, in New York. Mm. I was, I was um, doing interior design and events simultaneously, so it was a sort of slow start. And then I moved to Saigon in 2011, and spent nearly all of that year in Saigon setting up the Lacquer Company and, and um, creating our first three collections, which were then launched in New York at the beginning of 2012. So we've been we've been sort of properly trading for nearly nine years, and the US is therefore still by far the biggest market. It's a much bigger market than the UK anyway, but it's also where we started. So we've sort of had a five-year head start in America. And who are you selling to in America? We're selling mostly to interior designers. Um, it, it's a very sort of interior design friendly product because uh, it's still it's still relatively unknown in, in the big marketplace. So it's something that interior designers can bring to their clients as something unique. And because we are big on custom, you know, bespoke sizing and colors and even designs, um, the interior designers love us because they can they can they can give their clients something that their clients can't get themselves. I see. Well, let's go back to the process. I mean, it must be incredibly complicated to um, design bespoke, essentially bespoke lacquer furniture, and make uh, bespoke lacquer furniture. Mm. Um, how do you even start? Well, I mean, we, it's it's actually not as complicated as it, as it might seem. Once you've kind of got the lacquer process down, we're basically just making furniture in any in any normal way. We've got we've got carpenters who create the carcasses, which is the word for the substructure. You know, it's it's the it's the wooden body, um, and you know we can give any AutoCAD drawing to our carpenters, and they will make anything. Mm -hmm. So. 
in that respect, it's not that difficult. That, that always seems like the easy part, you know, following the dimensions, creating the substructure and presenting it to us to be lacquered. And just so we get a feel of your business, where is it all being manufactured? So I, I live mostly in Saigon, Ho Chi Minh City in Vietnam, and we make everything there. Uh, the, 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 the wood, the, the lacquer, the metal, everything, you know, mm. it, it's all packaged. Why did you pick Vietnam? Vietnam um, happened sort of indirect, it was, it was a bit of a meander to Vietnam. Um, as, as I mentioned, I, I, I first discovered lacquer in Burma, but you know, in 1999, it wasn't even really open to tourists. Um, so I, I, never, I never seriously considered Burma, Myanmar for, uh, for production and manufacturing. It's still not uh, an easy place to do that. Mm-hmm. I did have a, a, a role in Kuwait uh, in 2004, um, which took me to the Canton Trade Fair in Guangzhou in China, which is where I, I first really understood manufacturing and, and, and the, the scale of manufacturing coming out of China. Mm-hmm. And they did Why have... didn't you go for China then? I did initially. Oh, okay. So, so, so I, I found some lacquer producers in China. Uh, which were decent, you know, they were decent. But, you know, like a lot of things in China, it was mass production, you know, minimum or huge minimum orders, you know. They were really going for the big American, I'm guessing, the big American mm-hmm. companies that were placing 500 of, of everything. So actually, what sets you then apart from that competition? What do you think you bring that they can't well, bring? Well, so... so the quality in Vietnam is so much better. So I went back, I went back to America, you know, I went to the Canton trade show. And then, you know, when I was searching for, for manufacturers, after I founded the lacquer company, I was going to Shanghai, Beijing, Guangzhou, and feeling frustrated that I couldn't find what I was looking for. And I went back to New York and sort of voiced this to uh, peers. And, um, and a friend who was working at Vogue magazine, who I was uh, doing events for, told me about Vietnam and told me about this guy that was um, manufacturing in Vietnam and making a lot of money selling lacquer products in South Africa. And so I then decided that Vietnam was the next place I had to go. Um, and, and to answer your question, what sets us apart is... The, the, the bespoke element, you know, these, these large companies in America or the UK, but, you know I, know, I know the American market better. They can't possibly do bespoke sizing. You know, they're, they're just not set up for that. So, you know, you go there, you get something that's decent quality at a decent price, and that's it. With us, um, you come to us, it's a much more sort of personalized service. We are creating pretty much anything that somebody wants you know there are certain limitations that we will explain to our clients but but you know the sky's the limit and the quality is is mm-hmm. very much in a, in a league of its own you know we're we're working uh, you know we, we we kind of have Hermes as a, as a reference for quality mm-hmm. which you know you'll know is super is high can you introduce us to your your model because it is quite an interesting one in the sense that you you partner yeah. um, with designers um, how did you come across that model and, and what made you pursue it? So um, when I was uh, an interior designer myself, I was aware of, you know, other interior designers in New York. And when I, uh, the first time I went to Vietnam, I kind of bought off the peg. I was buying um, existing designs 
and uh, customizing the colors, but 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 it was really sort of off the off the floor, and uh, and I shipped to New York, and I approached interior designers who I respected. One of those uh, is Rita Koenig, who who remains um, one of one of our best selling collections. Mm-hmm. And what do you, what's the model? You you collaborate or? I started by selling to these interior designers, and then conversations started to happen. So we started to uh, talk about doing collections together, and Rita Koenig is 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 the first collection that we did, and, and we we created a, a small collection of furniture and accessories, which has grown over mm-hmm. the years, mm-hmm. and with uh, an initially small number of colours, which has now grown to many colours, and uh, we have an agreement where I pay royalties on any anything sold. I'm buying and, and managing all the stock. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then, you know, we have meetings periodically, or as I mentioned to you, we're doing a photo shoot next month um, to promote the collections. Mm-hmm. So there, there's there's sort of ongoing collaboration, but really it's the lacquer company that, that, that buys, manages, mm-hmm. ships, sells. So you've seen pretty... Um substantial growth since you sort of started, really yeah. started in 2012. What have been the difficulties in, in growing and particularly growing a business which really, you know, transcends continents? Yeah, I mean... Uh, Where do I start? <laughs> Where do I start? <laughs> One of the hardest things, um, for sure, um, was always having stock because, you know, you're, you know, I had some seed money at the beginning, but it... it Anyone who runs an inventory business knows that uh, you need to have an awful lot of cash to keep your stock levels high. And you invest in stock and some of it doesn't sell and some of it sells really fast and you're constantly trying to replenish the things that sell and, and sort of not knowing what to do with the things that don't sell. So, you know, when you're, when you're new in a business, you're making mistakes. You know, you're, you're, you're investing in the wrong things. And Do you think then, I mean... As you continue to grow, do you think you're 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 more cautious with your working capital? So more cautious with the amount of money that you you tie up in stock, or how do you think you've learned from that? Experience? We're we're in a position now where we can spend funds much more wisely based on you know eight nearly nine years of experience. So you know we know what sells. We know that we always have to keep hundreds of this particular tray in stock or you know at least 10 of of this table or you know Mm -hmm. we know the colors that people like we we're we're much more savvy about where we place orders the other thing which um which is you know which i learned from from people who have been doing it for longer than me in in vietnam is um having these substructures the, the, the the bodies of the furniture ready to go except for the color in Vietnam is a huge plus because you can put the color on in two weeks. So your lead time, your production lead time suddenly reduced from six weeks to two weeks, mm. which is, um, you know, very advantageous. Is that what's the sort of industry standard? Is there such a thing as industry standard? I, I, I honestly can't answer that. But, but what I can say is that I've spoken to, to, to people, mm. people that you're familiar with in Vietnam who, who are very successful in the industry and they've said, we have carcasses ready to go mm-hmm. so that's what we that's what we now do and, it, and it's uh, it's a lot more flexible because we're also shipping to the US and the UK and we don't really know exactly what needs to go where so by having these pieces kind of ready to go in Vietnam we have this kind of flexibility with production I see now I know that you're um, 
sort of in the throes of, of looking for investment. What are, what are you doing? Knocking on doors and, and shaking a can. Yes. Um, what have been the challenges with trying to raise an investment? And you know, how does that differ to the sort of day-to-day operations of your business? Sure. I think, first of all, I'm, I'm, I'm fully booked with my business. So, so finding investments sort of extra time, you know. Um, but um, just kind of communicating the quality of what we do is, is one of the biggest challenges. And that's why, you know, by getting an investor, we'll open a shop. The shop will be beautiful and it will show off the quality of our products, which will help sales a lot. And, you know, the inv- if the investor could walk into the shop now, they'd invest, but it's the chicken and egg thing. So you have to get the investment in order to, to open the showroom and, and create the environment that you're... So let's stay on that. And the, the plan is to, to raise some, some cash and some capital and, and to deploy it um, in bricks and mortar. Now, that's kind of slightly against the grain in some respects, yeah. um, given the sort of explosion of online sales and the, the, the broader lockdown situation. Um, what, what's the thinking behind that? So absolutely. I mean, like the high street and main street are in big trouble at the moment. But if you go to... Pimlico Road, Chelsea Harbour Design Centre. Um, but for me, Pimlico Road is, is really kind of where it's at. Um, those businesses are thriving. Recessions don't necessarily hurt high-end interiors businesses like they hurt, uh, let's say, apparel, m- medium-end apparel, um, simply because people focus on their homes and renovate. And um, especially this particular pandemic, everyone's been locked locked in mm-hmm. so you know we've we've had our best ever year this and year 2020 2020 yeah we've, we've grown over 50 percent in the us and nearly 60 percent in the uk so really you know we're 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 delighted and um when you go to pimlico road right now today those businesses are thriving too because they're high-end interiors businesses so although everyone would be nervous to open bricks and mortar normally this is a sector where it does make sense. And, you know, people can go on our website and think that's nice, but it's just not the same as touching and seeing it. So interesting. And presumably the two complement each other in the sense that, you know, you could, you know, it's not as though you're turning your back on online completely. Yeah. No, I mean, certainly by going into the shop and seeing things in person, there'd be a much greater comfort level ordering online or even just seeing the store looking pretty on Instagram would possibly uh, just tip the balance between someone ordering online or not. Furniture is, is hard to sell online. We sell a lot of trays online mm-hmm. um, because it's, it's, it's much more easy for people to get their head around. But furniture um, is something that interior designers feel comfortable ordering because they're a bit more clued up and, and, and the interior designers that, that come back to us you know, repeatedly know our quality. But um, a retail customer... They really need to see it. Mm-hmm. So, and therefore, bricks and mortar is an incredibly important sort of piece of the jigsaw. It's an important piece for, for our retail business, which, which, as you know, has the highest margin. You know, mm. interior designers get a twenty percent discount. Um, retail people are paying full mm. price. What companies do you sort of most respect, um, and not necessarily in the interior design, but what what companies do you sort of want to emulate? Um, well, I mean, I, I am thinking about interiors companies uh, in, in this context. The rug company is, is, has been an inspiration um, since, since I founded the lacquer company um, for a number of reasons. 
um, not least because they founded the company with designer collaborations, which we've done. You know, we, we collaborate with world famous interior designers just as they did. And, you know, that um, afforded them press uh, and uh, credibility at the beginning um, when things would otherwise have grown much slower. So we we borrowed that model and um, you know they, they are friends of the Lacquer Company. Our next collaboration is with Suzanne Sharp, who co-founded the Rug Company, and uh, you know they they sold the Rug Company very favorably. So you know they're definitely kind they're of the model, a bit of a benchmark. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you think then what 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 are the barriers for um, you know other people to emulate your business model? I mean, do you think where do you think the sort of strength of the the proposition lies? Sure. Uh, I mean, good luck to anyone who wants to go and start a lacquer company in Vietnam first. Um, secondly, uh, you know, I have through through my my whole career, but but specifically through the um, PR and events um, part of my career in New York, I made a lot of contacts. And then, as I became more deeply involved in interior design, I I, I strengthened relationships with those designers who have now become partners, you know, designer partners with, with our company. And, you know, those relationships are hard to come by. So, you know, we're, we're very proud of our relationships and uh, the strength that that provides our business. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Um, what advice would you give someone who's maybe coming out of university or, you know, three or four years out um, and trying to sort of cut their teeth in the entire design world? What advice would you give to them? I'd say uh, definitely do whatever you want to do. You know, don't listen to anyone who says it's a bad idea. Like, uh, you know, within reason. I mean, if, if you've done art, then don't try and be an astronaut. But you know, if if you if you if you know you want to do something and, and something in your gut tells you it's a good idea, go for it, and and stick with it. You know, it, my godparents who are who are very successful in the wine industry, they just said just stay in business. And it stuck with me and it's such a basic thing, but just stay in business. You know, if you need to cut back, cut back. If you need to expand, expand, but just just make sure you stay in business. And suddenly 10 years have gone by and things have grown and, you know, mm. things continue to grow. And, you know, that that's my advice. Just kind of stick in there. Go for it. Trust your gut. Go for it and stick at it. Mm -hmm. I see. <laughs> what transformational effect raising funds for your business would have? It's 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 a, it's about brand identity, you know. From, from a from a sort of uh, outside perspective, you know, it, it gives the 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 company much more of a face. You know, we're currently working out of a an office in Lots Road, which is lovely, but it's not it's not a shop front. It's not a, a place that we have a lot of foot traffic. Yeah. We we take meetings there, but um, having a showroom is you know it's your it's your billboard. And um, it kind of puts you on the map with with the the top runners in the industry. Um, we already have friends at the big magazines like House and Garden, Architectural Digest in the US and UK, and it would strengthen those relationships. I mean, it's it sort of be transformational. It would, mm -hmm. yeah, it would. James Lennon, though, well, I wish you good luck with it. Thank you for coming on the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Why Invest podcast with me, Doug Barnett, Portfolio Manager at Waverton, and our guest this week, James Lauder from The Lacquer Company. If you want any more information on The Lacquer Company, go to their website at 
thelackercompany.com. And if you've enjoyed this podcast or indeed the series, then like us or subscribe to us and let your friends know.